Welcome to Grace River Church, located in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Our mission is to see every generation experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives. We hope you enjoy today's message. Before I continue, let me just ask you a question. Is the stage beautiful or what? Amen. <laughs> I know if I start naming people, I'll get in trouble, but Emily, Hannah, Mary, Cece, Anthony, Ingrid. I just said I wasn't going to name people, but here we go. Aaron, Clarice, Kathy, Pastor Corey, CJ, Diane, Robbie, Whitney. Thank you. You guys worked hard, and it looks good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, I encourage you after church just to, like, walk down the hall. Um, walk down to the cafe if you've not been down there. Walk down to the other side of the building. It, it's just beautiful. And I thank God for those who have put their energy and time into helping make this happen. Now, what happens after Christmas? I'm sorry? It all comes down. So we're just going to, don't get, don't get nervous, but you still have a chance to serve Jesus. Okay? We'll, we'll be, yeah, you'll be sick that day. But we'll, we'll get with you, and we just look forward to it, because it's also a great time of fellowship. How many know that when you get together, you get a bunch of people together, and you just start working like this, it's really more fun than it is work. It really is. We had a blessing yesterday, just a fun time. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and we're going to get to Nehemiah chapter 10 in just a moment, but I really need to set this up this morning. We've been in Nehemiah since the 1st of September. And I'm actually going to preach on Nehemiah chapter 10 today, but I, we're going to wrap Nehemiah up the first part of January and just uh, experience Christmas. And I know we know the Christmas story, but I don't want us to know the story. I want us to know Jesus. So we're going to take some time over the next few weeks and, and celebrate, not just because the culture celebrates. How many knows the culture just celebrates anything? But it's when we can get focused on the right thing, and that is Jesus Christ. How many had a good Thanksgiving? Okay, true confessions. How many ate too much? Okay, false confessions. How many of you ate too much? The reality is most of us, it's this time of year where most of us already start planning on what the New Year's resolutions need to be. And so we just put things off till January. You know, why try now? But, but this morning's message really leans into the realities of what happens when you look at your life and you realize, is this not been where it needs to be? Some things need to change. And it's okay if you're there. He's a God who is constantly working in us and through us. I love the, the teaching that Dr. Bucci does at the 9 a.m. Bible study in the sanctuary here. I encourage you to be a part of that. He's been in 1 John now this entire semester since September. And this morning, just in parts of chapter 4, it just blew my mind to be reminded of how much God loves us. But it's not only how much he loves us, he's in us, and he loves through us. And I found in my own personal life that I love to be loved, but I don't like the love sometimes. Can I get an amen? It's great to be loved, but it's hard to always love like we're supposed to love. But when he is in us, he gives us then the opportunity 
as Dr. Vicki shared this morning, to be really supernaturally used when the world sees us to love others. Okay? So here's, here's what I want to ask you this morning. What in your life needs to change? What in your life needs to change? I don't, I don't want you to get nervous about that because if it's six things, I'll just focus on one. Sometimes we, so much needs to be changed, we're like, well, just forget it. Can't happen. It's too much. If you've got more than three or four things, that's fine. Just choose one. What is it? What is it that God's working on? If you go back to the beginning of Nehemiah, when we started this, it was, it was one thing that messed him up. He heard that the walls were no longer standing. The walls were still depleted. The walls were still crumbled and broken. And when he heard this, he fell on his face and began to pray. He wept before God. And I'm not going to walk us through the entire process that we've been in. I'll wrap that up in, in a few weeks. But he spends time in prayer. And by faith, he steps out. Last week, we saw that he finished the wall. And not only did he finish the wall, the word of God now comes back to the table. Ezra brings the word of God back. And when they call the people back together, all the people standing for the first time in a very long time, they hear the word of God. I just want to throw this out there. You can read the word, you can get into the word, and still never hear the word. The Bible tells us that when he called the people back together, they were hungry for the word. I just want to suggest that you need to position yourself to receive God's word. Um, e even as we were singing this morning, I had to be very intentional about worshiping. Why? And even in my own past, um, it's, it's something that bleeds in. I don't know that we're specifically taught, but it bleeds into our beliefs. And that is, okay, Lord, I know you're here, <clears throat> and if you're going to touch me, here I am. And we're just waiting for something to happen. And, and we just sort of, we're waiting for that zap. We're waiting for that hair to stand up on the back of our neck. And not that it, it, it may or may not. God is still God, whether your hair stands up on the back of your neck or not whether you have a, a tingling or not. I, I have discovered that when we talk about and when we pray about God's kingdom coming and his will being done, listen, don't let this ever confuse you. He is the king. It is his kingdom. Don't let that ever be a confusion. But what, what the question really is, is are we his servants? Are we willing to, to walk out in obedience those things that we see so very obvious when his word begins to, to come into our lives and we hear it for the first time? Or we're reminded of it. We get into God's word. Have you ever read a scripture and suddenly it, it comes alive? You've read it many, many times or, or you've heard it preached many, many times and all of a sudden you hear it and it just comes alive. See, I believe that in Nehemiah, when you read through chapters 7, 8, and 9, what you see is a people who were hungry because they knew that God had written and God had used his word before, but they had not heard it in so long that they were hungry to find out what God was doing. And when Ezra began to read the word of God, they stood there for hours. And as we talked about last week, they, they were 
were just convicted so overwhelmingly that they fell on their faces and began not only to agree, amen, let it be, but they cried out and they worshiped God, but they cried out because they were just incredibly convicted. Ezra and the other leaders came alongside and said, listen, get up and go feast. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't beat yourself up. Can, can I tell you what they were saying in a, in a really nice way? If you feel beat up now, let's get up and eat first because it's going to get worse. Go, 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 go feast. Now here's, why they, here's what they were doing. If you read those passages, they're entering into what we know and they're re-celebrating. They had not celebrated it for many, many years, but they're celebrating once again the Feast of Booths or what we know as the Feast of Tabernacles. And what they would do is they would build little tents to remind them of what it was like to escape from Egypt and to live in the wanderings and to constantly be reminded of all the miracles of God and how that God took care of every need they had. And God not only took care of every need they had, but then God would, would watch them presumptuously, the Bible says, presumptuously turn away. What does presumption mean? It means we know what the rules are, but we don't care. We know what the Bible says, but we're going to do what we want to do. Thank, thank the Lord, nobody in here has ever done that. But the Bible says they, they were presumptuous. They presumpt but, but the Bible says, and we even read it again in, out of Micah this morning in the class, says the same thing in the Word of God that we'll read in a moment, that God... God is patient. He's, he's ever loving. He, he's not quick to anger, but he's quick to forgive. Because when we go astray, God's looking for us. Not with a hammer, but with love. That's why we know even in the New Testament that God so loved the world that he gave. He was looking. And we see the children of Israel as they're, as they're celebrating this. Now while they're celebrating this uh, Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, the Word of God is constantly being read to them. And as we talked about last week, the people and the leaders are going around from tent to tent and from group to group, making sure they understand what the Word of God is saying. Why? Because they're getting ready to ask these people, are you ready to turn from your ways? Here's, here's what the Word of God says. And after they've been for days now, not just a few hours, but for days, almost 21 days, they've been hearing what the Word of God has done. They've been hearing how God has delivered them. They've been hearing how they, they've turned away. They've been hearing how God draws, the back, draws them back in. They've been hearing how God takes care of every need, whether it was manna, whether it was food, whether it was quail from heaven, whether it was water from a rock, miracle after miracle. You know, if a miracle drew people in and got them saved and everything was taken care of, God would just let there be miracles all the time. And you say, well, Pastor, I believe, I believe that there are miracles all the time. There might be. But that's not what keeps people saved. That's not what draws the masses in. Everybody wants to see a miracle, but nobody's really impressed. Or, or they want the miracles that don't change them. Right, now, what am I saying? The people come to a face-to-face -face reality with the Word. 
and they find themselves making a decision. They come under this conviction, and it moves into confession. And let me just start reading. I've got several verses I want to read this morning. Nehemiah chapter 10. It said, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land, and the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. And that goes back to their hunger for the word. In other words, they, they knew they may not have known every teaching. They may not have known every meaning behind what they were hearing, but they, they understood that, that when you hear the word, you have to respond to it. And it says they, they understood and they all gathered together. And they join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. And we will not give our daughters to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any of their grains on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy them. I will just skip down to 32. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel service for the house of God, for the showbread, regular grain for the offerings, regular burnt offerings. Down in 34, we the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offerings to bring into the house of our God according to our Father's house at appointed times, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord, our God, as it was written in the law. Verse 36, also to bring to the house of God the priest who minister in the house of God the firstborn of our sons, of our cattle, as it is written in the law, the firstborn of our herds, of our flocks, to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree. And then verse 38, and the priest of Aaron shall be with the Levites, and the Levites receive the tithe, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes of house of our God to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring contributions of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers will not neglect the house of our God. Now, I know that's a chunk of change right there. That's a lot of scripture. But I'm going to move through this quicker than you will even imagine. Because, see, this is Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk here about taking care of the house of God, we're talking about you being the house of God. When we talk about following the law, the law that you and I know we cannot live up to, it's only through Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Paul also tells us in Corinthians that if anyone is in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past and new has come. So what does this mean for us? What is he telling us in Nehemiah chapter 10? There, there are four, four life applications here. And I just want you to hear this this morning. Four very simple things that apply here. We're going to break this down, but they apply powerfully to you and I right now. The first one is this. It's, it's not really rocket science here, and you'll see it in the scripture in just a moment. But they rededicated their feet. What does that mean? 
Well, how are you walking right now? Because, see, sometimes when I look at my walk, um, here's when I'm at my best when I'm walking with a limp. Because <clears throat> when you walk with a limp, you probably wrestled with an angel. It's when I think I'm, I'm good on my own. It's I don't need help. When you see me walking like that, I'm in trouble. When you see me walking in arrogance and pride, I'm in trouble. When you see me walking like I'm somebody, I'm in trouble. But if you ever see me limping, I've been with an angel. And w whether it's an angel or Diane, they always win. Now, now, how does this fit us this morning? It says they observe to do all the commandments of the Lord and the Lord and his rules and his statutes. Now, I want you to picture this in your mind because they came, all of chapter 10 is nothing but a long confession. It's a long confession. Not just of their sins, but of what they say they will do. There's a difference between saying, Jesus saved me from our sins, and Jesus saved me from my sins, and lead me into your way everlasting. We all want to be saved. It's just we don't want to all be led. And, and here's what the people were saying. I'm making a commitment to you. And this is not just a commitment that says a New Year's resolution, and if it fits my schedule, if it fits my agenda. Because listen, I know in our lives we get easily distracted. But, but listen, I promise you, you can, you can do this if you'll allow yourself to be held accountable. If you'll read his word and take it sincerely and walk it out on a daily basis. It's when you lay this word down and you start making your own decisions, then you're going to get in trouble. And they, they make a commitment to rededicate how they walk how they talk, how they live, how they do life together by saying we will observe the law. Psalms 119 says this in many, many ways. Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. I'm not going to read that this morning. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, but it, it holistically tells the narrative of everything God has done. And time after time, probably at least 50 times throughout the word of God in Psalms 119, it says, teach me your ways. Teach me your precepts, O God. Teach me your law, O God. Let me live your law. Let me live your precepts. Let me live this out. Uh, Psalms 119, 105, we all know this verse. It, His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He, he wants us to walk this word out. But here's what happens with this word ready we this either becomes a law book or a life book and if we're not careful when it's just a list of laws we get legalistic that's why a lot of people when you say let's get in the word they get a little nervous because to them it's just a lot of rules and to, to them it's just something that people beat them up with this is not it's it's a lot of rules you know there are speed limits out there that I don't pay attention to, okay? Now, I'm just confessing. <laughs> so if you're around me and you see me driving and I happen to be not driving the speed limit, just wave and I'll confess and I'm, I'm working on it, I promise you, okay? But, but here's the reality. I don't drive around who made up these stupid rules. 
I'll get in my car and I drive. I don't, I don't say, nah, I don't use interstates. I don't even use roads. I don't like the rules. So I drive through people's yards. Doesn't that sound silly? Um, that would be like you and I saying, you know, I don't really apply myself to the word because there's just a lot of rules. His word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It's not meant to be a lot of rules to hold you back. It's meant to be guideposts to push you forward. It's meant to be a, a road map of life that you can have life and have it more abundantly. It's, it's supposed to show you how that there's a story, there's a narrative. We talked about it last week that God created you in perfection, but through the fall and through sin, our lives have been broken and shattered, but Jesus came. And one day in Revelations, as we talked about several months ago, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. God will wipe away every tear from every eye. Now, see, until that happens, you and I are here making decisions every day. Do I live according to God's word? Because I know there's a purpose behind it. I want to glorify him. And if we're not careful, though, again, it becomes legalism. And now you might even be following a few of the rules, but you're just trying to make sure everybody knows what they failed. So, so we either get legalistic or, listen, we get too loose. We just pick out the points that we like. We pick out the chapters that we're comfortable with, and as long as we're comfortable, then that's what we'll go with. No, he, he, the, the people gathered together because the confession they were making is, we're just like our father. The confession they were making is, we're just like those who have come before us. Can I just tell you that we're no better off than our, than our forefathers? We want to point to them and tell them how bad they were, and man, they made so many mistakes, and they made, you know what, they were, they were just trying to get along just like you. They just didn't have a cell phone. They were trying to get, around, get along just like us, they didn't have all the technology. But the reality is they were lost in sin just like you and I are lost in sin. But his word is a lamp unto our feet. Am I making sense? So, so the first thing they did was they rededicated. They made a commitment. And you and I make that same commitment when we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And I want to live according to your word. Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to him. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Get in the word. Get in the word. So then the second thing was they rededicated their families. Now I love this one. He says that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. I'm going to get real here just for a second. I'm, I'm always real. But I'm going to get real, real just for a second. When I was a kid, whenever this a passage like this was preached, it always meant race. Seriously. I went to church in Central Florida. Need I say more? Okay? So whenever something like this was preached, it wasn't about a belief. It was about a color. Whites should not intermarry with blacks. Hello? And so that, that, was like, that was like a cardinal, my God, if you saw that, they're living in sin. But how many of you understand, when you understand the word, 
That's not what this is talking about. That's not what this is talking about. I'm married to a Cuban. That's not what this is talking about. Okay? What this is talking about, when he says don't marry someone from other lands, he's saying don't marry an unbeliever. Don't marry someone who does not believe in Jehovah God. Don't marry someone who does not hold the same belief of following these statutes, following after this belief system. Now, now why is that important? Because when you marry someone else who believes differently, now, Pastor, come on, this is the 21st century. I know. They had to catch up, and so do we. They, they were having to catch up, and, and on a regular basis, so do we. Because what are, oh, Pastor, you know, are you saying... Roman Catholic and Pentecostal. Okay, maybe. Here's what I'm also saying. Not everybody who says they're a believer is a believer. Here, here's what you should do. Um, in your relationships, just let me just talk about relationships for just for a second. Hang out with people who are living it, not just talking about it. Look for fruit before you look for fruit if you know what I mean. Look, look for the fruit of the Spirit. Because you can find somebody beautiful who doesn't believe like you believe, and you'll just be miserable married to somebody beautiful. Am I making any sense? Now, now And please, I know, here's the other side of this coin very quickly, because I, I want you to receive this, not, not push it away. God wants to meet you where you are today. Not, not to make you feel bad about stuff that you've done or where you are now. I want you to know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not where you've been, it's where you can go. So wherever you are right now, it, it doesn't matter. It's where you can go from here. I'm just trying to let you to understand one of the primary commitments they were making that still needs to be made today is don't go running around with a bunch of people who aren't believers. Pastor, I thought we were supposed to be in the world, not of it. Exactly. You, you have to be able to make a stand. And if you are always hanging around people who don't make a stand, you will not stand. If you, if you want to marry a person, don't marry them by faith. Marry someone in the faith. I think I talked about this last week. You ever take assessments? And, and some people take assessments on their personalities or whatever, and they'll answer everything by faith. You know, are you a nice person? I want to be. I'm going to give myself a four on that. Are, are you a giver? Mm, yeah, I want to be, so I'm going to give myself a four on that one too. And so now your whole assessment, you're the highest ranking on the whole chart because you graded everything by faith. But, but here's the reality. When you, when you marry someone by faith, what you're saying is, and please, we all know what I'm talking about. I'll change you. God's not called you to change anybody. I'm talking to spouses sitting here right now. God's not called you to change your spouse. That's not right. That's not fair. It's not right. It's not your job. You pray for them. Don't lay hands on them. Just pray for them. Pray for them. It's not your job to change them. If you're in a relationship right now, it's your job to love them. But 
how could a lot of that been avoided? Marrying a believer. I'm not here to even pretend it always works out. I'm not here to, to pretend that, that life is always easy. How many of you realize that life is not always easy? That, that people will hurt you. There are going to be things that happen. There are going to be things that are broken. We live in a broken world. But he says if we allow the word of God to be a light unto our feet and a path that we can follow, you'll be amazed at where you end up. He says we're not going to allow our sons, our children. I, I want to encourage you this morning. It's not just about getting married. It's about marriages and families in our culture. Our children need to see husbands and wives that work things out, not keep moving on down the road. Again, I know there's, there's been decisions and there's been pain that some of you have walked through. I'm not trying to rehash that. What I'm trying to tell you is make decisions today that will say it'll never happen again. What kind of foundation will you build on today? What kind of decisions will you make today that say, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, yes, do a work in me. But listen, here's the important thing. It's not just about hoping God does something in you. He has, by faith, by the power of his Holy Spirit. But guess what? If you walk out of this building, you still have to put one foot in front of the other. He's not going to take you and, and push you out the door. You've still got to get up and take steps you're going to make decisions when you walk out of here you're going to make decisions when you go home listen i've got to live everything i'm talking about now my wife and i've been married 38 38 and a half years and, and listen every there are days i know you can't believe this but i'm a grouch I'm just grouchy, and, and just some, some of the things that will come out of my mouth are just so grouchy, and, and Dad will be like, what's wrong? No, and I'm, well, nothing. Are you sure nothing's wrong? Nothing's wrong. And I'm grouchy, and I'm, I'm short, and I'm curt, and, and that causes pain. And, and I'll, all of a sudden, I'll, and then I'll get over it, and I'll say, what's wrong? <laughs> well, you know, you bruised me for three days. What do you think is wrong? Okay. Now, here's my point. I, what does confession look like there? First of all, I'm sorry to her. But then God, please forgive me. I can make decisions every day. And I'm using that as a very simple example. Because you know what? You can control what you say. Pastor, I just don't have control of, of, of things that I say. Yes, you do. If we went to a Hell's Angels bar right now and walked in, I'll guarantee you could control your mouth. Somebody could come up and slap you in the back of the head. You would say, oh, excuse me, is this your place? Here, let me get a, I'm going to get out of your seat right now. And we want to be all, all that. You know, and we want to have our turf, and we want to have our life, and we want to think, Come over here and do something, and I'll show you. And then you'll just get beat to a pulp. But we have enough sense to hold our mouth in that kind of situation. Why don't we, why don't we learn of the devastation that we cause when we don't hold our peace in those other situations? Am I making any sense? I'm just talking about relationships. I wonder what it would look like if our children 
saw moms and dads as believers working at following Christ, not their passions. Working at pursuing Jesus. What would it look like if we as individuals worked with each other, instead of working against each other, worked with each other to follow after Jesus Christ rather than following after our own desires? And, and see, the commitment they made was we will not allow our children to marry outside those belief systems. Why? Because we want them to be unified. We want them to see that there is a way that can lead to success. There is a way to hold things together. There is a way that you can have joy and peace in your home. And it's when you have that belief system. It's built on Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen or oh me? That's right. Thirdly, a rededication of their faith. Here's what that basically says. Ready? Who do you trust? A lot of, lot of stuff to cover here very quickly, but who do you trust? A rededication of their faith simply says, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt, or we will forgive every debt. What does that mean? We talked about this a little bit last week. What was, the, what was the importance of the Sabbath? It was to rest. Now, in the New Testament, we know they had all kind of laws that you had to keep to be holy. And, and if you broke the Sabbath, then Jesus constantly was messing with them. He healed somebody on the Sabbath. Find people doing and washing their hands, not washing their hands on the Sabbath. And what Jesus was saying is, listen, it's not about keeping this rule. It's about serving people. Because the Sabbath is for us to take care of ourselves. The Sabbath is, is meant you're going to work like crazy for a large part of the week. And yes, our work should be worship. We should do it to the best of our abilities. Don't be a slouch at work and tell them you're Christians at the same time. Give it your best. Give it your all. But, but then trust God by taking some time and pulling aside and resting. Come and worship. Go and rest. Take care of yourself. Why? Because when you work 24-7, you'll be dead in a few years. When you work 24-7 thinking that you're going to become a millionaire, you might. And you'll still be miserable. It's when you trust God. When you trust God to, to do more with your part of the week, and he can rest in you and you rest in him, you'll be shocked at what he can do with your life. Pastor, are you talking about just resting like sitting down? For some of you, it may mean sitting down. For some of you, it may be slowing down. But if you, if you read through this on the Sabbath, they just didn't sit down personally and take a break. It was about a day. It was about a month. It was about a year. Putting the animals in the barns and not making them work. In this particular passage, they would, they would celebrate the Sabbath. They would rest on the Sabbath. But if foreigners came in, they would still purchase from them. That was a loophole. Anybody got a loophole in Jesus? There's certain things you've been able to, well, I can cut the corner over here. But see, what they were saying is, listen, we're not going to cut corners anywhere. We're not going to say we're celebrating the Sabbath but then we're still buying from foreigners. No, if we're going to serve Jesus, we're doing it all the way. And so they would, 
they would find themselves saying, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We really are truly going to celebrate this the right way. But, but what did he mean about foregoing the debt? And we've all talked about the year of Jubilee. But here's a principle in the New Testament I want you to just hear for a second. First of all, let me ask you two questions. Do you owe anybody anything? Do you owe anybody anything? Do you owe a bank anything? Do, do you owe a, a friend anything? See, we always go right to the money part, don't we? Does anybody owe you anything? See, I, I want us to look at this from the perspective of forgiveness. What does it look like when we say, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to cancel everybody's debt? Whatever's been done to me, I, I cancel that debt. I forgive them. I can't, you know, we, we talk about the year of Jubilee, but to be honest with you, it's good to celebrate it. I just can't get my head around it. Because there's a part of me that's like, you mean I had a piece of property that I worked hard for? You mean, you mean I got to give it back now? What's wrong with that? Something's wrong with this. I'm not going to be Jewish anymore. I'm moving because I need to keep this property. It just, it's hard to get my mind. And I know we spiritualize it, yes, but what God has done. I know all that. It's just hard to think about on the 50th year, year of Jubilee, everything goes back. Somebody's got to be feeling, okay, I know it's the Bible, here you go. Because the, rea the reality is, through Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Through Jesus Christ, all that has been canceled. So let me ask you this. Why is it we like to hold on to things? Why is it when something's done to us, we want to get paybacks? It's, it's real natural, isn't it? Come on. It's natural. It's who we are. It's how we're wired. Everybody relax. I just told you to pick one thing. Okay? So if we're on level six now, just relax. You only have to pick one thing today. But what about forgiveness? Am I willing to let it go? Does, the, does forgiveness ever hold you, or do you hold it? Unforgiveness hold you, or you hold it? It holds you. And we can, we can easily find ourselves allowing people to control our lives simply because of what they owe us. And what he's saying is, listen, they are committing to saying, you know what? We're going to practice that too. Any debts? let it go what did the Lord's prayer teach us our father who art in heaven holy is your name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread we trust you give us today what we need we trust you give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors I wonder what lead us not into temptation really means. I wonder if it means don't let me be tempted to hold on. Don't let me lead us not into temptation but deliver, deliver us from the evil one because see when I start holding on I end up more closer to the evil one 
than I expected. Fourth point, somebody say amen. Fourth point is simply this. There's a redirection of our finances. Yep. We thought he was going to get there. This isn't a money sermon. This is just the fact that when you are a child of God, you're a giver. When you're a child of God and you've experienced the freedom in your life. Now, I'm going to get real close here for a second. If we're children of God, following this is a no-brainer. Here's the rub. When we want all the blessings of God, but not to live by the word of God. I want to do it my way, but I want the blessing. And there's this constant conflict. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's this constant conflict. There's this constant rub. We call ourselves Christians, but home is a nightmare. Because we just don't live the same way at home as we do here. And so when we get home, the real us comes out. And, and, and our children are saying, wow, that's not what I saw at church. So then they start believing that what we do here is silly. And then we're trying to convince the culture it's real. And all they're thinking is, it is. It's real silly. On the other hand, it's quite fine for your children to see you struggle. But let me tell you what they need to see after you've struggled. They need to see you pray. They need to see you step down and get on your knees and pray for each other. And pray for the kids and, and love each other. And it's not because you finally won. It's because they see dad act like Christ and gave his life for the church. They see mom submit to, to the headship of the home. Oh, pastor, you just went there. Yeah. Because here, it's just the word. It's the word. Um, if you're driving down the road and looking at the road map and it says turn left, Listen, I don't care if it's in the female voice or in a male voice. Turn left. How many have ways? Um, map, any type of app that has directional resources on it. You can change the voices now, you know that? It doesn't matter what the voice sounds like. If it says turn left, guess what you better do if you're going there? This is not a trick question. Turn left. Pastor, I, I just don't agree with all the, the, the wives submitting. You know, I, I love you guys, and I say this this morning. Nobody asks your opinion. It's God's word. It's not my opinion either. It really is God's word. This isn't about anybody being the boss. It's about being submitted to God's word. See, it's, it's not about being the man and being macho. It's about being submitted to God's word. What the people of God were doing is saying, I am redirecting my life by rededicating my life. I'm not going to be the person I used to be. I'm following after Jesus. I'm not going to be the person I used to be. My family, you will see Jesus in my family. You will see Jesus in my actions. You'll see Jesus because I'm going to trust him with every decision of my life. But you will also see Jesus in my life because I'm a giver. He goes on this long list, and I'm, I'm not going to go through every point, but he goes on this long list of all the different ways. He spends three verses there talking about the fact that they're going to follow, follow God's word, 
the family, and then faith. And then the next 12 verses, he talks about giving. Why? Because our whole life is surrendered to God. There's nothing here about us trying to get money from you. It's about a surrendered heart. That's one of the reasons, if you will, even in baptism. Why, why do we practice baptism? Number one, because he said it. He said, repent and be baptized. What, what is the point of baptism? It's a public confession. It's a public confession here today of what God's done on the inside. You have died to yourself, and you are risen anew in Christ Jesus. It is Christ who lives, not you. It's because it's not about me. But now when I get away from the word, guess who it comes, guess who it becomes about in a minute when I get away from God's word? It becomes about me. I'll say it. It becomes about me. When I get away from God's word, and please, my wife's upstairs this morning, so when you see her, don't, don't ask her this, but maybe one day if you wanted to ask her, let's just pretend you ask her. Do you ever notice when John's really praying and staying in the Word? Can you tell a difference when he is and when he's not? And then you just step back and wait for her response. Because she can tell you straight up. She can tell you when I've been praying and when I haven't. She can tell you when I've been studying and when I haven't. And she's very nice. She doesn't rub it in. But every once in a while, she'll say, Yeah, uh, how is that prayer life going? And I'll know what she's trying to say. And I don't appreciate it. At all. She's right. She's right. How's that, how's that studying, John? And I told you we do those little devotions in the morning. And sometimes I'll be doing that devotion and we'll be sitting there listening to it. And on the inside, I'm like, this is good stuff, but I don't like it. Because it's telling me to change. And I'm trying to change her. And God's saying, hey, let's work on you first. She doesn't need as much work as you think. Let's get you fixed. Let me work on you. Why? Because his word is a lamp. And when that light comes on, it's, it's pretty amazing at what he'll do in the Holy Spirit. So I asked you this morning before we started, what's one thing? Is it maybe that you need to start following the Word of God? Is it, is it maybe in relationships? What's one thing? What's one area of your life? Is it in your finances? A giver or a keeper? How about, how about forgiveness? What's one area in your life? Because see, when we leave here today, it's not about trying to get everything straight. You'll be miserable by this afternoon. I wonder what it would look like if you sat down and just decided, you know what? If, if it's my tongue, if it's my attitude, whatever your one decision is today, I wonder what it would look like if you just said, I'm really going to focus on that, and I'm going to make sure I keep that in control. God, if you'll help me, Holy Spirit, help me. And then go home and start digging through the Word and find out what God has for you. Does that make sense? Let, let's stand together. Those that are going to be baptized, 
if you'll be dismissed and uh, prepare, and I'll catch you in the hall in just a minute. I'm, I'm going to step down, but I just want us to pray. As we're preparing for baptism, it's, it's very possible that you're here this morning, and, and one of those things really ring out in your own personal life. Can I tell you, just like we are preparing to practice and walk and celebrate this powerful baptismal setting, the same thing can happen to you. There can be a rededication. You can once again say, Lord, I surrender that area of my life to you afresh and anew. Whatever it is. Can we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we, just like your people did many years ago, we stand here today. And after a, a very simple message, we, we say, God, we choose to rededicate ourselves to you. Lord, the aspects of my life that need changing are overwhelming. I look back at my life sometimes, and I'm like, how can I mess it up so badly? But Lord, I hear your word that says you are faithful. And if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I thank you for your grace. So Lord, today, as, as we've just maybe focused in on that one thing, that, that one issue, Lord, I pray that we not be overwhelmed by the fact that we may be really messed up. Lord, I pray that we be excited that we're in your presence and that when we just surrender our lives to you, we're on this journey now, Lord, that transformation begins to take place. God, I pray that even in these next few moments as we celebrate baptism, Father, I pray that you be magnified. I pray that you be glorified through these lives that have committed to you. But Lord, even more importantly, let us be reminded that we are buried in Christ and risen by the power of your resurrection. Let us live out those changed lives, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to hear more, you can find our entire archive on our website at graceriverva.com. Also, if this message has touched you in any way, we would love to connect with you. Do this by filling out a connection card at graceriverva.com connect. From all of us at Grace River Church, have a blessed day.